But I think when your youngest child is three years old, that you start as a mom thinking, okay, my job is to get these kids to be independent of me, and I really need to focus, and really the whole time, even when your child is under three, to have the date nights, to spend the time with your husband, because your baby will not remember that you were not there, <laughs> you know, once a month for them on a Friday night. But your husband will remember, my wife still took time to have special moments with me, and it wasn't just all about the children all the time. Some great advice from Arlene Pellicane about how you can prioritize your marriage even in the midst of a busy season of parenting. You'll hear more from her today on the Loving Well podcast. I'm John Fuller, along with Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. And Greg, uh, with Valentine's Day just a week away, there are a lot of guys who are trying their best to come up with a memorable, wonderful, creative, romantic night with their spouse but the kids are in the way. And there are a lot of wives who are thinking the same thing. I want to make it special for him, but these kids. So how do we navigate all the expectations of Valentine's Day when there are children in the home? And we love our kids, but how do we deal with this? I think first and foremost, that it starts with our own mindset. We have to believe that our children are part of our family. They are not the center of our family. I think a lot of parents forget that. And over time, their kids really have become the center. And we've always tried to model that and and even verbalize that. You guys, you're part of this family. And our marriage is our highest priority next to our relationship with the Lord. And someday you guys are leaving this home. And we want to make sure that that our marriage is strong and we're going to keep doing that. So I think it's something that we, one, have to believe. And since you're going to be leaving the home someday, let's start with next week on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. <You> can, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to ship you all out. Well, and there's different seasons of parenting, too. So yeah. you're busy when they're little and you're busy when they're big. Because even right now we have kids home from college And you want to spend lots of time with them because they're home for a short amount of time. But I know we have tickets to a play, to a theater play. And it's kind of hard for me because I'm like, ooh, do we want to go out while we have our daughter home and take time away from her? But the answer (laughs) is, yeah, the answer is yes. It was a rhetorical question on her part. And the great news is when you start seeding the idea of our marriage is top priority in this home. Yeah. Then as they grow older, they also carry that with them. They've learned how to honor marriage. And that mindset has to translate to everyday life way beyond Valentine's Day, for instance, or any other uh, special you know, anniversary time or something like that. Well, earlier we heard from Arlene Pellicane about making your spouse a priority when you have kids. And she's a wife and mom and has written a number of books on this topic. She's a great guest. Here she is talking to Focus President Jim Daly. Life is not, you know, oh, let's have dinner tonight and let's go to a show afterwards and let's rekindle the romance by overlooking a park that's beautiful. You know, that's the sometimes. And we need that. We need those I can hardly waits in marriage so that there are things to look forward to. But a lot of marriage is mundane. So it is bringing those things that, you know, it could be as small as the five to 30 second kiss every day. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, which is really when I go and I speak to ladies and I tell them, go home and just kiss your husband 
for five to 30 seconds per day. This was advice that Dr. Cliff and Joyce Penner gave me when I was interviewing people from the book. And you would not believe, you know, everyone laughs because they say, how are we going to kiss my husband? Because he's going to think that is the go signal. And I don't want him <laughs> to think that. So I'm not going to do it. So I tell you, ladies, to have a conversation with your husband that says, you know, I was listening to this Focus on the Family broadcast. I want to kiss more often. But every time we kiss, it is not the go signal. I will make it very clear when it's the go signal. But it just means I want to be closer to you. And the truth is, you know, when you're busy, you forget to do that five-second kiss, 10-second kiss, 30-second kiss that is that passion. And usually we do those things when we feel a certain way. But instead to say, I'm going to do that behavior and then, wow, the feeling will follow. Well, and, and it's important. Yeah, I husbands think, love that. Well, it's important for husbands to realize, too. They've got to show that kind of innocent intimacy. Yes. The, mm. You know, that yes, it sweetness. doesn't have to lead to right. something. Are you <laughs> guilty of that, John? Never. never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am too. Time, yeah. I, mean, it, I don't know. You just, that's, I guess, in some ways the way God has wired that's us. Right. So you have to but, put it in your mind. This is just a sweet little romantic interlude that's going to yeah. last 30 seconds and then we're going to go on well, in our day and, and then a, yeah it's a small way for men to be selfless yeah. as well because hmm. that you know. And, you know, and men will say, well, that's nice, but isn't it ever going to lead to that other thing? <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, one of those keys in the book. And it does. Well, let's move on to some of the great content you have in your book. Um, you talked about a time when you stopped pursuing James. Mm -hmm. I think every husband just kind of leaned in right there. <laughs> and I think that happens in every marriage yeah. where uh, typically, not always, I know that the data uh, identifies a large portion of women, maybe 30, 40 percent of women that are typically... Uh, physically initiating. Mm -hmm. um, but you have said that uh, there is a point usually where wives stop pursuing their husbands. And we all know that happens. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. And you know, I don't think it's a fixed point necessarily. It's something that you might be doing really well, and then you get sidetracked for a little bit, and then you realize, wait a minute, I've got to think about this more proactively. Because we tend to think of our husbands, you know, they're capable they can take care of themselves, not like the children in our homes who cannot take care of themselves yet. And so we put them on the back burner. But the problem is then they stay on the back burner for so many years, and then it's so difficult to bring them into the foreground. So, you know, when your children are young, they're two years old or younger. Yes, you know, life kind of orbits around that child. But when your children grow up, it has to click and it has to change that you start orbiting around your husband again and that the children start taking care of themselves. And I think that's a huge thing for women today, that their children are right there, they're louder, they're needier, and they forget about their husbands. For James and I, we've always been very happy, content in that sense, but you, the romance, it waxes and wanes, mm. and you have to be much more proactive in that. We were teaching a young married's class probably five, six years ago, and I, we were noticing all the couples were just smashed next to each other. You know, there's no space between them. When the woman answers, the husband's like, oh, isn't she so smart? You know, they have this longing gaze, and James and I were the teachers, and we're like four feet away from each other. <laughs> you know, and we felt and like, good with it, probably. Yeah, and good with it, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And we both left that encounter like, wow, maybe we have become too mm. businesslike in our relationship, and we're too much like roommates. And he always laughs. He likes this book, obviously, 31 Days to a Happy Husband. And he'll say, whenever I talk about it, he's like, I like that, because it makes you more affectionate towards me, because it's on my mind. Mm. But you're not talking, um, and I don't want to give that impression when we talk yeah. about a time when you stop pursuing and all mm -hmm. that. It's not just 
physical intimacy. Right. We're it's talking interest about in the other yeah, person, consideration of them, approach. putting on lipstick before they come home because you think my husband's coming home and not like, you know, you put on lipstick for your girlfriends, but you would never dress up for your husband, you know, things like that. Well, you're, you're probably stepping on some toes right yeah, there. Sorry. But let me ask you this. You said something a, a moment ago. I want to pull out a little bit because I think it's important. As a mom, I can only imagine I see it in Jean. I'm yeah. sure it's true for Dana, John. There's a lot of value that you derive out of taking care of the kids at two, three, four, five. You get into a groove. But give us some more handles and tools. When is it good to put the marriage back in the center of the relationship Mm -hmm. and the household? Yeah. Really, when your child, when your youngest one is three years old, you know, then because what tends to happen is, okay, one is old enough, but now I've got another one. And then now they're old enough, but now I've got another one. And you're constantly taking care of this baby. But that's but, a season. And that's saying. a season. But what tends to happen is we let that season continue, 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 because we're so used to it and we want to be needed. And that fulfills that in mm. us. But I think when your youngest child is three years old, that you start as a mom thinking, okay, my job is to get these kids to be independent of me. And I really need to focus. And really the whole time, even when your child is under three, to have the date nights, to spend the time with your husband because your baby will not remember that you were not there, (laughs) you know, once a month for them on a Friday night. But your husband will remember my wife still took time to have special moments with me and it wasn't just all about the children all the time. So I think that's so important to remember because our children are going to grow up, but our husband, he's going to be there the duration and that's who we've got to really think, how can I please Mm. my husband? How can I make him happy? And I know ladies right now are like, oh, that's the last thing I want to do. I have so much to do. I have to (laughs) do this with my kids. And now I have to please my husband, you know. Mm -hmm. But really, it's this idea of if you work to please him, it's going to come back to you. And even if it didn't come back to you, you're still honoring Christ. So you don't want to be manipulative. By putting your husband, you know, ahead of your children. Right. Don't you don't want to be manipulative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so appreciate the energy and enthusiasm Arlene Pellicane has. And as we mentioned earlier, she's written a number of great books. Look for 31 Days to a Happy Husband when you stop by our website, focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. It's going to help you as a wife to better understand how to show love to your husband, even when you have just a full list of things to get done. Now, throughout this podcast, we've been talking about traits that a healthy marriage should have. And Greg and Aaron Smalley have written a book about this. It's called Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. And uh, you're going to find that at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. And let me just ask, Greg, there are ways that not in spite of, but because of children, a marriage can actually be stronger. What does that look like? Oh, one of my favorites of how our children benefit our marriage is that we seem to laugh constantly because of our kids, the crazy things that they say. I was doing our oldest daughter's wedding right in the middle of the wedding. So I'm not just the father of the bride, but I'm the preacher up there. And so is the ring part. So I'm asking for the rings and our youngest daughter, who's a little bridesmaid, she's probably 10, 9, 10 at the time. It's in a pretty little dress all made up. Well, as I'm asking for the ring, she's waving her hands like she wants something. And I'm thinking, like, now? Like, this can't wait? Long time. So I give her that look as if, okay, what? What is it you need? And she mouths the words, I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm like, you can't please anybody. This yeah. is hard enough. Yeah. She you was speaking laugh. on behalf of all of us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're probably not going to be asked to officiate a lot of weddings based on that story. Probably not, because I'm boring. I'm glad you could laugh about it, though. I mean, a lot of people would be hurt by that kind of thing. Well, I just, I love how our kids just do things. They say things that just create a lot of laughter, which is great mm-hmm. for our marriage. Yeah. One of my favorite things is that we tell a lot of stories, you know, obviously, both on radio and when we're speaking. But I love when our kids actually tell the stories from their perspective. And same thing. We'll sit around and just laugh out of control hearing their perspectives. In some ways, it might be making fun of, yeah. of, of I've, us. I've resigned but, myself yeah. to yeah. be the, the the butt of the joke. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But is, really, my role. having four kids and walking them through different seasons together as husband and wife, I can remember when we were pursuing the possibility of adopting. And I can remember we were older. Our youngest child was nine. We we're like, really? Do we want to go back to having a three-year-old? And I will never forget, we looked at each other and we said, one of our most favorite things besides being husband and wife is raising kids mm. together. Why would we not choose to do this again? And what a blessing it has been to pursue raising our youngest, all of our kids, but to get to do it again yeah, with number team, four. I love that too. I think there's a way in which because kids require and demand so much time and effort and energy that it, it forces us to be intentional, to find time together. Yeah. So if the kids weren't there, I mean, maybe there were patterns that we'd get into to where we wouldn't try to do date nights or we just would get into this, maybe Annie was right, a boring routine. Well, and what I see happening with couples is that then when the marriage, if the marriage does become disconnected, well, then sometimes, especially for a mom, she can attach herself more closely with the kids and align herself with the kids. Well, then dad's over here feeling left out and alone and this whole cycle begins of her turning towards the kids instead of her spouse. So it's just something to be really aware of. You know, am I turning towards my kids when I need something or when I'm wanting to talk about something? Or am I turning towards my spouse? Mm. It's so important. Well, that is really good insight. And we're going to turn a corner right now um, because you might be listening along thinking, yeah, this is great for you, but it's really bad in my home. I mean, it's not because of kids. It's just because of him or because of her. We are drifting. We're not talking. There are issues, and it's just cold. Now, Gary Chapman is a counselor, a pastor. He is so insightful. He's been on the Focus on the Family broadcast a number of times, and he has some good, solid biblical advice about overcoming what he calls the winter season in a marriage where it is cold. And here he is now with Jim Daly. That couple that has felt stuck in the winter season, I mean, the igloo, the ice, the recriminations, the it's your fault, not my fault, I'm wonderful. How do they begin to thaw? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the first things if you're in a winter marriage is that we have to deal effectively with our failures. We have to head on recognize that we have created this winter ourselves. How has that been done? I think often it's been done by just simply neglecting each other. We just have not spent time with each other. We've gone our own ways. We've done our own things. We've kept our distance from each other. 
and we haven't resolved our conflicts, and and so we we find ourselves in a very uncomfortable uh, relationship. What, what about the couple, Doctor Chapman, that's sitting in your office for counseling, and they're both kind of in agreement? Well, you know, Doctor Chapman, life is busy. Uh, I've got this vocation. I'm an executive. I got a lot of demands on me. I travel 200 days a year. And the wife's saying, well, yeah, I've got the young kids. They're the most important thing in my life. And they're kind of rationalizing the drift. Is that typical? It is typical. And one of the things I would seek to say to that man would be, you know, you're probably a great businessman or a salesman or whatever, and you're probably doing a great job with that. And chances are, if you continue on the route you're on, you're going to make it to the top. But I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be at the top alone? Hmm. Because there's a good chance if you continue to focus on your vocation the way you're focusing on it now and neglecting the relationship, you will be alone. And most guys, it's kind of sobering to them to think, ooh, yeah, okay. (laughs) And I say to that wife, you know, you're doing a great job very likely with these children. You're investing in their lives. It's a wonderful thing to be a good mother. But those children in 18 years are going to be gone. And if you don't do something to change this marital relationship here, you're going to be alone also. Yeah. Your kids are going to be off in college. You're going to be home alone. And then what are you going to do? Yeah. Let's do something now when you can do it. Now's the time to do something. You know, in that context, you know, we tend to think in what some will be critical in stereotypical ways. A lot of women are working outside of the home now. Yes. And they're doing both the vocational thing. So they could be sitting in that meeting saying, yeah, I'm just really busy. I got all the demands of work on me. Then I get home. And although we share some of those things, I still feel kind of that uh, stereotype burden that I'm the one responsible for the home, for the shopping, for the kids, even though my husband helps. But I'm still kind of the one. Uh, Speak to her and all the activity that's going on in her life. Well, I think that is very common today in today's world, that a wife does have a full-time job and working with the children and trying to do something maybe to keep the marriage together. And uh, what I would say is this, you know, when we get to the end of the journey, and I think of that often because I'm getting closer to the end of the journey, and you look back, the things that really matter are relationships. Mm. And yes, relationships with your children are extremely important, but your marriage relationship is also extremely important. The vocation seems important at the moment. And yes, it's bringing in money so that you can have some of the pleasures of life. But when you look back, ultimately, it's not the vocation you're going to remember and think and feel good about. It's going to be the relationships that you either feel good about or you deeply regret. Let's live so we don't have regrets when we get to the end of the journey. Well, I love Dr. Chapman's perspective on why relationships are the most important thing in life. John, I'll never forget when my father had a massive heart attack, got that call. I didn't know if we were even going to make it. It was about an hour drive to get where he was at in the hospital. I was the first one to get there. They brought him off the helicopter into the gurney. They're wheeling him down. I was right there with him, and he was so panicked. But what he was panicked about was making sure that I knew exactly what to say to my mom Hmm. and to my siblings, to spouses. And and he just kept running through going, you know, you need to tell mom that how much I love her. She was the love of my life. Just talking about just each one of my siblings and and their spouses. 
and and he was so panicked and, and finally I just I held his hand and said, Dad, you know, we, we know. We know that's how you felt about mm-hmm. us. Because what was so interesting, my dad's written sixty some books and sold millions of videos in the area of marriage and in parenting and he could care less. He wasn't asking, you know, what's my book at? What's spot on the bestsellers yeah. list? He cared about that his family knew how much he loved them and cherished them and valued them. And that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave. I want at the end of my life that, that my family, that my kids knew that they were the most important thing, that they mattered to me. That's what was on my mind. So I think a big part of why that's so important is we have to decide what is the legacy mm. that we want to leave. Because yeah. if we spend all of our time working and pursuing, as Dr. Chapman talked about, you know, some work or some title. It's just that on your deathbed, that is not what you're going to care about. So mm-hmm. we, the good news is that most of us have that good time, that we can cultivate those kinds of relationships and make sure that our family knows that you really are next to the Lord and next to my wife, that you are the most important thing in my life. Absolutely. I agree so much. I can remember that day of getting that call about your dad, and I remember that that's what his focus was on on relationship. And it it comes down to what I've seen in my own life, that it's making the decision day in and day out. What is my priority? I know for me, I've been in such a busy season over the last like year and a half of beginning to see clients again in private practice, working here at Focus and um, just really recognizing I have to fight and block out time during my day to have lunch with my husband, to pick kids up from school, to be at home for dinner time, because otherwise I could fill up every hour with something, but it wouldn't be what I wanted in my core. As an extrovert introvert, we're created to be relational, to connect to God and to connect to others. And so we have to pursue that and fight for that time because your dad was right. That's what's going to matter in the long haul. Mm. Well, wherever you are in your marriage journey, Focus on the Family is here for you. We want to reinforce what you just heard, and uh, we've got resources to help you do that. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash LovingWell. We've got uh, resources by Greg and Aaron Smalley, our marriage assessment, and for the month of February, we have a free broadcast bundle, which includes four Focus on the Family broadcast downloads that you and your spouse can listen to together. When you sign up for that bundle, you'll be able to hear interviews with Greg and Aaron Smalley and Pastor Ted Cunningham and others. So please uh, request that free resource today. Uh, The starting place to make a donation or to get any resources or help, focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Next time on the Loving Well podcast. So one of the things that I began to do is say, as the kids begin to fly from the nest, why don't you start finding ways to learn how to do coaching, learn more about leadership and counseling? And at first the reaction was, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. But the more I kept bugging her about it and, and sort of encouraging and pushing her, the more she spread her wings. And I realized that's part of my responsibility under God for my wife. You'll hear that conversation with Bob and Cheryl Record next time as we celebrate Valentine's Day. On behalf of Greg and Darren and the entire team, I'm John Fuller thanking you for listening to the Loving Well Podcast. 